it's about that feedback loop to make sure that you haven't missed the mark. And also it ends up being better because of the active input that you're getting from your marketplace. So that experimentation in front of people is actually what ends up making it that you will have a superior product, you know, again, whether that's a a piece of of content or whatever the, the experiment might be. Patience is a virtue. Does hearing that just make you want to scream? When I was growing up, I must have heard this phrase a hundred times a day. I'm someone who, like most entrepreneurs, wants immediate results. I want to pull a trigger and see it work. Not wait around for weeks or months being patient. But patience really does make a huge difference when you're talking about a business. And whether or not you consider it a virtue, it is a necessary part of running a successful business. I'm Susan Bowles, and you're listening to Break the Ceiling, the show where we break down unconventional strategies you can use to save time, boost your profit, and increase your operational capacity. This month, we've been talking about all the various ways that founders can muck up their own success, ways that we get in our own way, and the practical tools you can use to stop sabotaging your progress. So far, I've talked to Michelle Warner about how to stop getting in your own way by avoiding processes. I've talked to Tanya Dalton about how to stop getting in your own way by overwhelming your to-do list. I've talked to Agnes Kowalski about how to stop getting in your own way by letting your stories and beliefs around money create artificial limitations to your growth. And I've talked to Nicole Lewis-Kieber about how to stop getting in your own way by letting your past create a wall that you keep running into over and over again as you try to grow. Today, We're talking about patience. So if you get in your own way by rushing ahead on your ideas without creating a plan, or you get antsy when you don't see results right away, or you scrap projects when it starts taking longer than you expected, stick around. Often, we come up with new ideas, we launch them, and then get disappointed that they don't work. So we shift to something else or create something new and run through that whole cycle again. But what if it was a great idea and you just didn't give it a chance to succeed? Maybe you didn't give it enough time or devote enough resources to it or tell enough people about it. Maybe you didn't market it to the right people or in the right way. Maybe this thing that you created is actually a great thing and you just didn't have enough patience with it. Today, I'm talking to Jason Van Orden. He's a consultant, trainer, and strategist who helps thought leaders reach larger audiences. He's created multiple successful brands, launched over 60 online courses, taught more than 10,000 entrepreneurs, and has over 8 million downloads of his podcast. So he knows a little something about seeing things through. And we're talking about how to test and implement new ideas, how to see them through, and the strategies and tools you can put in place to make sure you're giving your projects every chance to succeed. Hey, Jason. Thanks so much for being here today. Yeah. Hi, Susan. My pleasure. So, you know, we are all entrepreneurs. We always have a ton of ideas. How do you decide either personally or how do you advise your clients to decide which ideas to actually pursue? 
Yeah, this is a great question, and it's uh, it's something that I that I refer to a a little framework that I have just called the Align Business Strategy. It's nothing um, you know fancy in the name, or really in how it's constructed, but it's a very powerful thing. And I often start here with clients because there's always a little bit of realignment, um, or at the very least, uh, informing a decision, as you're saying here. And so, if you were to imagine two circles. And, you know, a Venn diagram and where those circles overlap is is where we want our business strategy to fall at any given time. And the two circles have made up of you and then your target market or your audience. And in the you circle are things like what your vision is for the future of your business, for you personally, your lifestyle, your career, the legacy you want to leave, things like that, your unique strengths, your unique genius, uh, what, uh, you know, because we all, we all have, I'm, I'm very much a, a strengths-based type person. Like I love stuff like the strengths finder assessment things. And I, you know, I like really knowing like, where do I thrive my best? We all have different circumstances and talents where we thrive best. So that's in that you circle as well. Uh, and then also, you know, just keeping, keeping in mind, like what fulfills you. I, I think we've, entrepreneurs, it's, it's easy if we're not careful to end up in the situation where we feel trapped by our own success and we don't want that mm. to happen. So constantly staying aware with, of these criteria, checking back in with them and keeping them top of mind as we make decisions and decide where to go is, is really important. Then we come to the audience part of, of the equation. And obviously, if we have a business, we want to make money and to make money, we need to create value that people are actively looking for and willing to invest in. And so that means on the audience side of things, we need to know, okay, well, what are their top of mind needs right now? You know, what are they uh, thinking about when they wake up in the morning? What are they thinking about when they go to sleep at night? And at the very least, we need to meet them there. And then we can maybe guide them towards you know, thinking about other things that are important that they might not be thinking about. But it's always, there's this great copywriter had this, the, this quote of always, he said, always enter the conversation already going on in the mind of the customer that you want, that, that you want to reach. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you really get into what their experience is, what they've tried before, how aware are they of, of your solution? Because sometimes, you know, like go back 10, 12, 15 years, if you came out of the gate and said, I'm a, a, a paleo coach, people are like, well, what's paleo, right? So the messaging needs to, whereas like today you can be like, I'm a paleo coach. And they're like, yeah, you and, <laughs> and everyone else, right? So, <laughs> So, you know, it's like knowing that's called market sophistication. Where's the market at right now in terms of their knowledge of, of what you do? And so when you when you bring those two things, those two circles together right in the middle, whether you're trying to make a decision about what product to create, what kind of marketing campaign, what kind of messaging, your branding, uh, and whatever the case might be, the contents is and so forth. These criteria then inform those decisions. And then in the end, often there is... There, there might be you know, a number of different ones that still kind of rise to the top. And here's the last little check that I do. And that is I ask myself, okay, if I've narrowed it down to these few things right here, then whatever my goal is, let's say it's to, to make more money or to, you know, it could be to grow your audience. It could be to, uh, you know, to systematize your, your business more. I just I ask myself, okay, for each of these strategies, which one has the greatest potential to impact that goal, to move the needle on that goal? Then I ask myself, okay, well, what's the resource and investment intensity of this thing? Like how many, how many hours is it going to take me or me and my team to, to implement it? Is it going to take months? Is it going to be quicker? So you're kind of just weighing there a little bit too. And sometimes I'm doing this as simple as like in a spreadsheet or on a piece of paper and just kind of scoring them on a, like a one to five, just because sometimes just doing that and visualizing it, your brain, you, you immediately get a sense of, 
of you know where your instincts were wanting to land. Um, and then the third one I asked myself is like, well, which one of these am I most jazzed to to go with? Which the, you know, the most excited to try, the most curious to to look at. And kind of between those three criteria, once I've come down to that that uh, short list, that's how I just you know I end up making my final decision on which which direction to go. So it's about the Venn diagram to narrow down and align, and then it's about that quick assessment, and in the end to decide which one to go with, and then you you go with it and you make it uh, the best answer that it's that it could be in in that moment and uh i'm sure we might talk a bit about this too but i'm always in asking myself okay well what's the simplest lowest risk lowest cost uh lowest you know resource required experiment that i can run to test this thing and and see if it has legs to see if it does you know all, all my assumptions which hopefully were well informed just to check and see if all my assumptions were true yeah, talk to me a little bit about that because I think oftentimes we, when we have an idea and we get really excited about it, we tend to jump completely into it and yeah. put in systems and fancy course software. And um, we don't really think about the let's do a very low risk, very um, low cost kind of trial. I think because sometimes we're a little afraid of experimenting in public. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you kind of uh, how, how do you decide how to actually go down that experimentation path? What does that look like for you? Yeah. So there, there are first of all, I mean, like I said, you want your your experiments to be well informed. So I'll give an example here to that might help answer the question that we can kind of dive into. And so uh, I help a lot of you know thought leaders, experts, you know, authors, speakers, coaches, consultants, expert service providers to repackage their expertise, their knowledge as new income streams. And often that's in the form of something like some form of online course. And something here's a, like, this is an example where I see a lot of people get in trouble with this, where they, you know, somebody comes to me to work with me and they're like, yeah, I just, I haven't been able to get this thing off the ground. And it's because they've been spending months trying to outline this thing and make it really perfect. And then, you know, recording nice videos and recording nice audios and trying to, like you said, get the software together to make a good course platform and all the things that they think that they're supposed to do. And the truth is eventually if it's a, you know, if, if the experiment proves out, they will want to go down that route. But then what I always end up encouraging my clients to do, or especially somebody who comes to me and they've been stuck in that, that loop and not getting something out is I, you know, I explain, Look, for your business to grow and survive, speed of implementation is is everything. You know, if you think about Apple, that first iPhone that went out, I'm guaranteed the engineering team had a list of 20 plus things that they had wished had gone into that iPhone, right? But that didn't make it in there just because at some point you got to get into the market, into the hands of people. So going back to the online course example, I say we need to launch a pilot course. And a pilot course is something you can get up in a matter of weeks. And what does a pilot course look like? Well, you just need to know who's the student that that's, this is going to be for. Like, who's this for? Who's this not for? What are the outcomes that they're going to get by going through the course so they know what's in it for them? Um, and hopefully you've done your uh, – well, I'll, I'll get to that in just a second. Hopefully you've done your research there. Uh, you know, you have to just basically outline, okay, what's the process to get them from A to B? And maybe you've got like four or five milestones, and those break down into modules. And then I tell them you're going to do a series of Zoom calls. You're going to do it as one call per week. Each 
each one is one of these modules where you're going to go through a major step and you then just you make recordings through zoom you put those onto uh google drive for people to be able to access those recordings you share that folder with them if you have any like tools like templates and scripts and 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 uh worksheets and things like that just make them in google docs that's perfect because then you can share with them they can make a copy they can fill it out and do what they need boom that's it. Like simple, simple, simple. You can get that to the market fast. Now, and in fact, when it comes to a sales page and a funnel, you know, often it's like just making a Google Doc page. It's like, here are the details of the course. And I just try to get a first handful of people as quickly as possible to go through that. And first of all, see, A, did they buy it? B, you know, it was my messaging on point. C, it was my process. And then you know, you're, you're testing your process. You're seeing if you're getting the results you want. You're having an iterative relationship of feedback with the people actively using the thing and giving you. And so then in the end, you end up with testimonials, you end up with cash in the door sooner. You end up with information about what that product should be or could be and, and, and how to adjust things. So whether, again, whether this is a content campaign, whether this is, uh, you know, launching an online course or some other kind of product, it's about that feedback loop to make sure that you haven't missed the mark. And also it ends up being better because of the active input and that you're getting from your marketplace. So that experimentation in front of people is actually what ends up making it that you will have a superior product, you know, again, whether that's a, a piece of, of content or whatever the, the experiment might be. So that's what I would say when it comes to, to that. And then all I can say then is like, yes, then there's that fear, that perfectionism, and these are mindset things to always work on. But one thing I will say is that the more that you get into that mindset of experimentation, uh, maybe it's a bit of like exposure therapy and, and you see like how useful that is and how much it saves you time and, and money and energy in the end and your and things end up better. You, uh, you know, I find that over time that concern or worry about things going wrong or making a wrong decision uh, goes down and down and down because you realize I can always pivot and and you know move on mm -hmm. to the the next version of the experiment if I need. So speaking of pivot, say we've gone through, we've experimented, we've implemented our idea, and we're trying to figure out whether or not it's working. You know, how do you go about making that evaluation? What kind of data do you keep track of? What kind of what factors into your decision on you know is it actually working? Right. Yeah. So I, I usually try to keep it pretty simple here too. And I just end up choosing one or two key metrics that will, you know, and that's all that's based on what am I, what am I going for? So uh, for instance, let's say that I am, that I'm going to launch a, um, well, let's just say I'm going to launch a podcast for instance, right? You'd want to like some key metrics there. First of all, you need to know what the goals are because, you know, podcasts are wonderful for a lot of things. And, and this is where, and again, I'm not, you know, this isn't an episode about launching a podcast, but I think this is a really great example because a lot of times people will launch a podcast and they're like, well, I don't, I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. And I asked them like, well, what were your goals for uh, for the podcast. And, you know, naturally one of them is, well, I wanted a visibility. I wanted to reach more people and that's great. So that's a, that's an, a key metric that you should be watching. But then I also say, well, you know, your podcast is great networking platform. Like you can get a lot out of inviting people onto shows and that's a way to you know meet new people, expand your network, uh, you know, cross promote and things like that. Right. So it's like, I could come up with so audio expansion might be one of my goals. Network uh, expansion might be another goal. Uh, podcast can be a great way to come up with lots of content that then you repurpose and resyndicate. So point being is you need to know like which of these things is most important. So then you can choose the one or two metrics that uh, that that are the most important to you. Um, 
And then, you know, if I was, if I was launching a course, then, you know, I said, that's a test to see if like, will people actually buy it? Well, naturally that's one of the things I'm going to be looking at is did it sell? Did I sell enough of it the first time out of the gate? And, and the truth may be told, I might only be looking for six to 10 or, you know, maybe even 15 sales of that pilot just to, you know, prove that it's like, okay, it, it sold. And now I know I'm going to get the testimonials and the feedback and all the other good stuff that we talked about out of, out of it. And so, you know, it's not about needing to make tens of thousands of dollars the first time out of the gate. So, so number one, know, know what your best, your, your goal is for the thing. Number two, choose one or two metrics that will be indicative of that. And then the third thing I would say is I like to set a good, better and best goal, you know, three levels of goals. So I mean, let me go back uh, again to the online course example. I might say, well, with my pilot course, you know, for it to be worth my, my time putting into it, you know, I'd like to make X number of dollars off of it. And again, I try to temper that knowing that, you know, there's a lot of other reasons that I'm doing a pilot and it's not the tens of thousands of dollars right out of the gate. So I set a dollar amount and then I set a, net, a slightly higher amount and go, okay, well, you know, so here's the minimum amount that'd be like, okay, that was time well spent. It's worth proceeding with this experiment. Number two would be like, oh, I'm really happy. That's, that's, uh, that's a goal that I'm, I would have liked to, to really hit. And then third, you know, the higher level of the best level goal is I'll be like jumping out of my seat and dancing if I happen to, to hit that. Right. So I could go and say, okay, I'm going to say six, 10 and 15 people, uh, you know, booked into this pilot course are my, my three goals for gauging whether or not it was a success or going back to the podcast. It could be like, okay, I'm going to give this 90 days and here are, you know, if I can get 200 people downloading and listening regularly, that'll be my good level goal. If I can get 400 people in those 90 days, that'll be, you know, the better level goal. And if I can get, you know, a thousand people, I'll be jumping out of my seat and that'll be my best level goal. So know your, know what you're trying to get out of it. Set, pick one or two metrics that then are indicative of that. And then set a good, better, best level of goals are my advice for that. Yeah. And you, you mentioned kind of some timelines in there. And I think patience is one of those things that's always a struggle for me. And I think for a lot of other entrepreneurs, you know, I want to try something and then maybe it doesn't work and I'll just pivot or shift it. But I think a lot of the times I probably didn't give it enough time or effort to really gain traction. Mm. So how long do you think you need to give new ideas or new projects or offerings to really tell if they're quote unquote working or not? Yeah, I mean, this, this one's a little bit trickier because obviously like the launching of a podcast, yeah, you're going to want to give that longer. I mean, I, I'd say minimum of, of, uh, of 90 days to, to kind of gauge where things are at. But then with like a, the pilot course launch, um, you know, I've gone from idea to putting it out in the market to see what happens in a matter of three or four weeks. And then, you know, if you have like a one week, like enrollment launching period where you're trying to, you know, see if you can get people signed up for this thing, you might only need, let's say a month to know whether or not you've, you've hit your, your mark or your goal. Um, so so the trick is with something like say like podcasting and it's the first time that you've launched a podcast and you just don't know what kind of growth to expect or what kind of time period and that's where you're going to hopefully need you know you get informed from outside sources when it's it's something you're less familiar with whether that's a coach or a consultant or maybe you're in a mastermind and somebody in the mastermind has experience doing that thing and they could say well yeah I didn't really see traction or you know noticeable until, you know, such and such uh, date or whatever the case may be. But this is also where, you know, the, the podcast goal is, a, is a, I'm sorry, the podcast example is also an excellent example because I also, and this kind of goes back to the original question, I also like to see if I can choose an experiment, choose a direction or idea that's going to have multiple layers of potential benefit to me. 
And so the podcast is a good one because it'd be like, yeah, I'm going for visibility, but I also am going for, con- you know, c- creating great content that then I can, you know, turn into other forms of content. I'm also going for the networking. And so if your ultimate goal is the audience building, great, give yourself the 90 days. But at least in the meantime, you know, it's like, I'm creating all this great content. I can get it transcribed. I can take quotes out of it and create, you know, visual assets for Instagram and other social media channels. I can't, you know, so there, I, I, try, I try to layer in those other things so it doesn't feel like I'm just sitting here doing the thing, waiting for some horizon in the future to tell me whether or not it was was worth it. And that's a re- another reason why that criteria of like curiosity and fulfillment and things come in, because then at least I'm enjoying or learning something <laughs> while I'm going about it and waiting to see if like the numbers turn out. Um, so there, those are all things that I'm considering in terms of the, the, how long, and of course it's going to vary and, and get whatever input from others you need. If it's just something that you're, you're not familiar with. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And kind of continuing on that, there's this cycle, I think that happens where you get really excited about a new project and you kick it off or maybe a new offering. Um, and then somewhere down the track, we hit what Seth Godin calls the dip, you know, that point where you have to decide if you're going to push through the hard thing? Have you given it enough time? Have you put enough effort behind it? Um, Or if it's the right time to just say, hey, that was a failed experiment. So what's your approach to the dip? Like, how do you figure out if you should keep trying or pivot or just quit whatever that thing is? Uh, Yeah. Um, Yeah, this is this is a this is a big question. Um, There's so, you know, I think that's one, one reason. Okay, so here's one thing. is like in the beginning, setting those good, better, best goals and the timelines, one reason why that's important is at least then we know when we're going to check in about it, right? So because if we, again, using the podcast example, if you didn't do that in the beginning, then let's say, like you said, it's all exciting at first and you're, you're interviewing people and you've got it up and it's in iTunes. Oh, great. And people are, you know, you've got some people subscribing and everything. And then after that initial excitement, yeah, you're going to have that dip of, of motivation perhaps. But if you can look and go, well, when I went into this, according to all my information and what I decided, I said, I'm going to give this the, so, you know, you have that initial reference point rather than I, it'd be a lot easier at that point to like lose motivation and move on to something else. If you hadn't taken the time in the beginning to really delineate it's like, here, here are the metrics and here's how long I want to give it and things like that. Now let's say that you have gone the full amount and um, you know, you, you go back and you check your initial your initial goals and numbers. You can r- just recheck them quickly. Perhaps you've learned some new things in the meantime, and you look at your good, better, best goals, and you're like, yeah, you know, I, I, those actually weren't very reasonable, and maybe I do need to give it some some. You know, now that I'm understand even more and doing this and stuff, I need to give it a little bit more time um, to know whether or not I'm, I'm going to be able to hit those, those numbers. I, you know, and I, it, I think it is important to check in with yourself and your own, um, fulfillment and motivation and things like that. But if that's the only thing that's helping you decide whether or not to continue, then that's where I think we're a little more likely to get pulled to and fro by just kind of our own, our, our own feelings and reactions in, in the moment. So there's this thing that I, I do, this thing that I say to myself in those moments that you know, I tell myself, you know, I, I can trust my past self and that mm-hmm. when you do shift gears too quickly, you're essentially kind of throwing your own self and intuition under the bus by by second guessing the decisions that your past self made, you know, and put all this effort into in the moment to go, okay, this is, you know, all the things we've talked about already in this conversation, you know, to do all the, the research and the alignment and the setting of goals and all those things. And, it, you know, if you just move on, then it's like, well, so... 
when things do get hard, I, I, I try to remind myself, it's like, look, I, I can trust my intuition. I had this certain intuition and decision-making in the past. So it, it's worth keeping going in this moment. Now, there are those times where it's like, you look at it and it's like, okay, yeah, this just is not turning out how I, um, how I expected. Uh, and I think it's, I think it's also good to get outside perspective in those, in those moments because, you know, we can get so sucked into our own thinking and, and all the blinders come on and various things can then, you know, help us or keep us from seeing what's actually, what might be going on, going, that's going well, or, or maybe even seeing that it's like, yeah, you know what, you can cut yourself a break here. Like you've done everything you can, and this just is not going the right, the direction that you want it to. So um, that's where it's really good to just know, like, who can you turn to for that trusted, but be very careful about who you like ask, right? Because people mm. are going to have their own, you know, biases and things. So it's like, that's where having a good coach or a mastermind that, you know, they're going to ask you good questions and they're going to like, you know, have your best intentions and not just try to sound smart with their answer and you know, things like that. But it, I think getting outside perspective is really important in those moments as well. No, I agree. So going back to how long you think things should take or how long you should give the experiment um, or how invested you should be in the experiment. Do you think it matters the size of your audience? So if you have a bigger audience, can you test for a shorter amount of time? Or you think that it really has no impact? And even with a really, really small audience, you can still do quick, short tests. Well, audience size is a, is a resource like anything, just like money. And so whenever you inject more resources into a test, typically, I mean, it depends. Some things just need time and there's no changing that. But you know, typically you can test something more quickly. So let's take another example. If you have some new messaging, you know, I went back to that whole thing of audience. You have to enter the conversation already going in the mind on in the mind of your market. And so let's say you've decided, yeah, you know what? I need to shift up my messaging a bit because of things that have shifted in the market. And so I'm going to make a new lead magnet, a new you know PDF downloadable freebie that people that I'm going to put out there in order to try building my list. And so in a lot of ways like that, I mean, that is, that's an experiment for some new messaging. And in fact, I think it's one of the best ways to test new messaging is to put together some kind of resource and then see how your audience or how people on social media or, you know, the market you want to reach respond. You know, are they, are they you know, eagerly going and entering their email and downloading it? Or are you getting good feedback and, and things like that? So clearly, if you've got several thousand people on a list and you, you know, you send that out to your list and see, you know, look at some numbers like, like downloads or even have them reopt in to get the, this new thing. Um, you're going to get data a lot faster and you're going to get feedback from people and hopefully people emailing you, or if, if you ask for feedback, you know, a lot more like a lot quicker, but if you've got a smaller audience and that might mean, well, like if somebody's just starting out, um, and just starting to build a list and maybe they have a network and some reputation and things like that, you know, they're going to have to, you know, so to speak, um, pound the pavement a little bit more, like get out there on social media or run some ads or, you know, something like that in order to get enough eyeballs on the thing to find out if it's really resonating with the the marketplace. So there are plenty of cases where, yes, absolutely, an audience, just like money or anything, is a resource that you put into the experiment and that can accelerate it. Just like money would accelerate a campaign by putting money into paid ads. It's like you can go with organic, which is going to take longer, organic traffic and reaching people, or you can put money into paid ads and that's going to accelerate how quickly you get data. And so... Uh, Money, audience size, these are just resources that, that they do help with experiments. That makes sense. So I think 
time, time frame is important. Um, but are there any systems or tactics or practical strategies that you personally use or that you use with clients to kind of encourage a little bit of patience or at least kind of counteract that tendency to step off the track just before you could really reach the full potential? Because I know, um, I know I've done that, you know, where you're like, oh, this thing is going really well. And then you just kind of shift focus out of, you know, fear of success or fear of, you know, the next step, fear of getting a little bit bigger. You know, how do you counteract that that tendency to just step off the track too soon? Mm. So a couple things come to mind. I mean, yeah, with my clients, uh, if they're getting impatient, I mean, a lot of ways they're relying on my expertise to kind of to help them decide if it's if we've put enough time and resources into the experiment. And so, you know, sometimes if I, it's as simple as me just saying like, yeah, I can, I can understand that you might be getting impatient here, but you know, we need more, we need more data. So we need to, we need to keep going for another week or we need to get another hundred people to look at this or we need to right. So um, in that case, they're just relying on my expertise and hopefully they're, you know, they've hired me for a reason and are, are going to trust that intuition just because, you know, I might have more expertise with, you know, I've been podcasting for 15 years and I've been launching online courses for 15 years. So that, that perspective is coming into, into play. And that's, you know, why I'm encouraging others to, to get outside perspective before they do make any uh, major decisions. Here's, here's another little tip that comes to mind too, that I, I think can help with motivation. And a lot of times when we're losing motivation, it's because we feel like we're not seeing results yet. And um, this would have been a good thing to mention earlier that when, also, when I have projects like this and I set goals, I keep in mind that there are two different types of goals you can set, and I try to set both types. And I call these outcome goals and execution goals. So outcome goals, which is, kind of, I think, what we've mostly been talking about here, it's like how many people sign up for the course or how many people download the, the thing. Or you know, I'd say, so you're trying to give a certain amount of time to see in the end if you reached your good, better, best, one of those, if you fell into that, that range of numbers. But the problem is, let's say you need, you know, two months, three months to get there and see if the outcome was right, is that in the moment right now, you're just kind of sitting here wondering if if it's headed in the right direction. So that's where execution goals can be helpful, not only to keep you on track, but also to have something you're looking at that keeps you motivated in the moment. So what do I mean by a, an execution goal? Where execution goals are like, what are the things you can track that lead, hopefully, to to the outcome? So for instance, uh, I mean, an easy example here would be like if you're doing some kind of exercise regimen or something to, to lose weight and, and, and losing weight is an outcome goal. And there's a lot of variables that affect that. So you can say, I want to lose 10 pounds in you know, three months or whatever, but there's a lot of things that are going to affect whether or not that happens. But in execution, you can say, well, the things I need to do on a daily basis are track my calories and um, you know, do some kind of physical activity. And so in tracking that on a day-to-day -day basis, you can you know, see, are you on track and actually doing the things that will give you the best chance of reaching the outcome? But then also I think you know, our minds like to have that feedback now that, that we're doing the right kinds of things, that the right kinds of things are happening. If we can see that on the, you know, I, I, sometimes people talk about, this doesn't necessarily work for everyone, but sometimes people talk about having the calendar if you're doing a new daily habit and like Xing, you know, every day so you can see this chain of Xs that are, you know, so that's tracking execution um, that leads to the outcome. So there's, there's another piece of advice I could put out there because I do think that our, our mind at times needs that additional input just to, to, to feel like we're on the right track and not just wonder like, are we, you know, just 
throwing resources at nothing here just to discover that we've missed the mark. Yeah, I love the idea of the execution goals, because then you have something to go back to and say, well, it didn't work. And you can go back and say, did I do the things that I said I needed to do to make this work? Oh, I didn't do the things. Well, that might be why it didn't actually work. Because I think you're right. I think we tend to focus on the outcomes and then sometimes forget that there are specific actions that we need to take to make that outcome happen. Right. That it's not just going to magically appear. You know, people aren't just going to magically sign up for your course or listen to your podcast without you remembering to tell them about it. Right. Well, and you know, I want to reinforce here too, that I, I always try to have multiple reasons why I'm doing a thing. So, you know, if I'm waiting to see if I'm going to get the kind of downloads I want for the podcast, if in the meantime, I can be, you know, I can say, well, what's going to keep me really excited? I ask myself this question all the time. What's go what is going to keep me excited and engaged and in this project while I'm waiting for the outcomes? And I always know that, you know, that curiosity is something that feeds me a lot. Novelty feeds me a lot. You know, so maybe I decide that uh, one thing that'll keep me engaged in the podcast for three months while I'm waiting to see how the numbers turn out is, you know, if I make a list of, well, here are the people I would just love to talk to on my podcast. And I, I'm just very deliberate about choosing people that will be energizing for me to interview on the podcast. Or, you know, maybe I decide, hey, it would be really fun for those three months to try out a few different formats and see you know, see, see what that's, that's like. And that's kind of a, a sort of another experiment, but maybe that just that novelty is interesting to you as you're starting a new project and you know, like you can try out different segments. And, you know, so if your mind works well with being creative and, and novel in that way, then great. Like you can change it up along the way while still waiting to see if the ultimate outcome goals, um, you know, hit, hit for you or not. Um, or maybe something completely different, like, Hey, what would be fun is if I compose my own music for my podcast and <laughs> like this, you know, personal, you know, maybe you like you're dabbling in songwriting. That's just a personal goal thing that you've got going on and you can infuse that into your podcast experiment. Um, then, you know, those are the kinds of things too, that help keep you motivated. And if you can layer on multiple reasons why, and, and multiple things that will feed you and your, your business as you're waiting to see if the thing will pan out. No, I love that. So is there, th is there anything that you think we should talk about that we haven't actually touched on yet? No, I mean, this is, this has been some really good stuff. Um, and I'll just, I'll just mention, you know, I think something that ties it together nicely is there was, there's a great article several years back in or a few years back in Harvard business review and the title, you know, the headline of the article was something like, you know, business, we need to look at business strategy as, as, uh, as a hypothesis, you know, business, there was like business mm. or strategy is a hypothesis, not a plan or something like that. Right. So, so often we talk about, you know, especially in business of having a strategic plan and we think of it as this, like, okay, how am I going to get it? You know, B, I want to get to point B and I'm at point A and what's that line that's going to get me from A to B. And we set our goals and we set our, and our, you know, timelines and all those things and put together the to do's and, and track that stuff. However, yeah, it's just, it doesn't work out that way. It never is a straight line. There's always things we are, there's always going to be some element of, we don't know what we don't know. And so really the point of this article is like, we just need to look at strategy as a series of hypotheses and we need to talk about it more in, in that way, because that's the reality of how businesses grow, how initiatives are, are put into, uh, put into play. And so, you know, that kind of, I think sums up what we're getting at in this conversation here is that more that you can encourage yourself to look at at growing your business or whatever pursuit you're doing in, in life as a series of hypotheses that uh, it's, it's just going to work out better in the end. 
Oh, I love that. I think that's a perfect place to, to wrap it up. So where can our listeners find you if they want to connect or learn more about what you do? Uh, yeah. So one good place, I mean, if they're listening to this podcast, I imagine they like listening to podcasts and I have a podcast of my own that I call Impact. And it's all about how to grow a thought leadership based business and brand. And in each episode, I share a specific framework that will help you in some way to establish and, and grow that brand, income, impact, things like that. So you can find that at my website, jasonvanorden.com. And then in the navigation, there's a, a podcast. Click on that, and then you can, or you can just find it uh, on any of the you know major podcasting platforms. And so I would love them to check that out if they, if they want to hear more of this kind of stuff on a variety of different related topics. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. This was a great conversation. Yeah, thank you, Susan. Going into a new project, having a clear idea of what your benchmarks for success are lets you know whether what you're working on is actually, well, working. Having goals around execution tells you whether or not you're actually giving this project a legitimate shot to succeed. And when you're at the beginning of a project, figuring out what you need to invest in terms of time and resources can help systematize your patience. If you know that it's going to take at least six months for something to pay off, you can build in execution goals that take that into account. And those goals become the structure that can keep you trucking when the impatient part of you wants to pull up the stakes and pivot. Another tool that I've used to make sure that I'm being patient is to pull in an expert. Somebody who does this kind of project all the time, so they can help calibrate my expectations for how long something will take. I am horrible at actually estimating that, so having a professional in my corner helps me keep on track and helps reaffirm that our timeline is realistic. Remember, your project is just a hypothesis about something that might work. Collecting data around that hypothesis allows you to make better decisions the next time around. It allows you to evaluate what happened and see if you really are just being impatient or if this idea was something that legitimately didn't work. And using that data, you can figure out how to do it better the next time around. But if you listened to this episode and thought, well, that's interesting, but I never seem to manage to start anything in the first place. Next week's episode with Charlie Gilkey on procrastination is for you. So make sure you hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss it. Break the Ceiling is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode is edited by Marty Seafeld with production assistance by Kristen Brundvik.